0: Great to see everybody here today. Um, I'm glad that you guys are excited to get to see each other. I know uh, for some of you it's been a couple months apart over the course of the summer, and this is an exciting time of the year um, as students are getting ready to come back. Uh, I always like to say this is the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, not Christmas, this is. Um, this is we're going to all get to meet lots of new friends in the coming weeks, and uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's a, that's a cool thing. Um, As the summer is coming down to a close here, uh, we're going to be wrapping up the series that we've uh, been doing as a church, and we've called this series Abundance, uh, Disciplines of the Christian Life. And uh, the reason we've called it that, we've been talking about what we call spiritual disciplines, uh, which are things that we can practice that put us in a position to be able to take hold of the abundant life that Jesus said that he came to give. All right, these aren't things that uh, give us eternal life, they're they're not things that make God love us or anything like that, but rather uh, they are things that help us to experience the life that he wants to give us. So the definition that I gave when we started this series of what exactly spiritual disciplines are, I defined it as grace-driven practices found in scripture that Christians exercise diligently to put themselves in position for God to work in making them more like. Right? So it's, it's not that uh, we are the people that actually even create spiritual growth in ourselves, but when we are practicing these disciplines, we are putting ourselves in position for God to be able to work. Much like a farmer can't make seed grow in his field himself, all he can do is set the conditions as best he can. He can make sure the field is well plowed and the weeds are gone and he, he fertilizes it and he waters it and all that kind of stuff, but ultimately God is the one that has to make that seed grow. So when we practice the disciplines, we're much like that farmer that's putting fertilizer in his field and watering it and making sure that the conditions are set right to put us in position for the best possible outcome. And so some of the practices that that we've looked at over the course of this summer, uh, we've talked about Bible study, how significant it is for us to be people that really get into God's Word, that learn how to understand it, to observe what's there, to interpret it, and to apply it properly. Uh, that were people who uh, would serve, right? Jesus said that he, he was the ultimate servant. He said that he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so as we go and do that, it actually starts to create Christ-like character in us. We become more like him. We talked about worship. You know, we come together and uh, sing corporately the way that we do here. That uh, that's something that puts our hearts in position for God to be able to work in making us more like him. Prayer, of course, is essential. As a discipline if we want to be people that are growing in our faith. We talked about silence and solitude, uh, the practice of getting away, quieting our heart and our mind to be able to focus on the Lord. We talked about fasting, abstaining from something, usually food for a period of time to have a greater focus in, in connecting with God. We've talked about sacrifice and giving, you know, g- giving up things that, that may have a hold on our heart uh, that allow us to be able to move God's kingdom forward. We've talked about confession, how significant that is to be people that uh, let the light into our lives, that don't don't keep secrets. God already knows everything. There's power in us confessing our sin to him and to each other. We talked about evangelism. This is something that's good, not just for people that get to hear the good news, but it actually grows us in our faith as well. We become more Christ-like when we become bearers of good news like he was. We talked about celebration that there should be a consistent rhythm in the life of a Christian, that we, sh- we are people that are actually called to be full of joy and have reason to be full of joy and to celebrate. And then finally, last week we talked about fellowship, the idea that God has brought us together into one family, that we are connected to each other, and that is a very, very significant part of the Christian life that we must be diligent to actually practice letting other people into our lives and being connected to them. And so all of these are practices that we can be diligent in doing if we want to be people that train for the purpose of godliness, which is what Paul told his disciple Timothy to do when he said, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And this summer, we've tried to be intentional about not only teaching you these practices, but even giving you the opportunity to really put them into play, right? Like, how is it that I actually pray? How is it that I actually evangelize? How is it that I actually practice fellowship? Uh, We've tried to create spaces for you to do that. And I hope that that has been a good springboard for you to make these regular practices in your lives. And so as we wrap up the series today, I'm going to talk about one last discipline that might come as a surprise to you. Uh, In all the books that I've consulted on spiritual disciplines, I haven't seen this one listed anywhere, Um, but I believe it's important for us to both talk about it and practice it, and that discipline is rest. You know, in some ways, rest might seem like the anti-discipline, right? It seems like it's like the opposite of activity, and maybe that's why nobody likes to include it in any of their books that they write on spiritual disciplines. But I believe that the rest I'm going to talk about today is something that actually takes an intentionality to practice. And so my goal this morning is uh, simply to talk about what rest is, how we can do it, and why it is so important for us as Christians. So let's pray and then we'll, we'll dive into what we've got today. God, I thank you uh, that you are a God that we can worship, that we can pray to, that um Gives abundant life, Lord. I thank you that you uh, you don't come to steal our joy. That's what the thief comes to do. But you came that we may have life and have it abundantly. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be people that really take hold of that. Help us to focus our hearts and minds on your word today, to be impacted by it, and to be people that learn to actually uh, take the rest for our souls that you offer. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in your sons. Awesome Amen. And so as we look at this... Uh, This idea of rest. What is it? Like, where do we see rest biblically? And uh, the first time that we actually see it mentioned in the Bible is right at the very beginning, after God finished creation. We see, I'm going to read at the very last verse of Genesis chapter 1 into the first couple verses of Genesis chapter 2. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. All right, so this is something that you've probably heard before if you've grown up in church at all, but it's kind of a curious thing if you think about it, right? Like, what does it mean that God rested? And, and why is it that God would rest? Like, did he get tired? You know, I, I would understand if he needs it. Have you guys ever moved a lot of earth before? <laughs> Absolutely exhausting. Yeah, I've spent a lot of my summer moving earth in my backyard. I can tell you it tires me out pretty quickly. So I wouldn't blame God if he needed a rest after creating all that dirt. But uh, we, we know, no, that's not what he was doing. He didn't get tired from doing this. Isaiah forty twenty eight says, Uh, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. When God rests, it's not because he's uh, tired and he needs a breather. So what does it mean that he rested on the seventh day? I have to give uh, credit to a pastor named Tim Keller that preached an excellent sermon on rest that pointed this out to me. Um, But I believe that the answer for, for what God was doing in resting there was He was resting because he was totally satisfied in his work of creation. You see, God's rest was not the result of weariness, but rather the result of satisfaction in a job that was well done and complete. Uh, That's actually why I started reading at the end of chapter 1. You might not notice that when it talks about God's rest, but at the end of chapter 1, when it talks about how God uh, finished creating on the sixth day, it says that he saw his work was very good. Now, if you were to read Genesis 1 and see all these different things that God creates, uh, this is actually a consistent theme throughout. It will say, and he saw that it was good, and it was good, it was good. But it's not until after that sixth day, when he finishes his creation with uh, man and woman as the capstone of that, that it says it's very good. And I think that in that, we see this idea that, yeah, God's saying this is it. Like, this is the creation that I wanted. I am satisfied in what I have made. The job is complete, and I can rest in it. And I believe that this connection of satisfaction and rest has very important implications for us if we're going to understand biblical rest and how we can practice it. You see, when most of us think of rest, we probably think of resting the body, right? Like, we're not God, so we do grow weary, right? If we move a bunch of dirt, we do get tired, or various other things. There's all sorts of stuff that we're in. And when we feel this, we know how desperately we need to just lay down, take a nap, give our bodies some time, recuperate. And there's no doubt that resting the body is important. God designed your body to need rest and you should do this responsibly. But if resting the body is the only thing that we think about when we're considering what rest is, then I believe that we are missing out on the kind of rest that God actually wants to give his people. Okay, what we desperately need and what he wants to give us is rest for our souls. As tired as the body gets, how does that compare to the weariness that your soul feels from living in a world that is broke, broken? Think about this. How weary does your soul become from the failure that you have to consistently live up to the standards even that you have for yourself? I don't know about you, but I, fi- I find myself constantly falling short of the ideal of the person that I want. To be. How weary does your soul become from trying to find true joy and satisfaction but seeing that all of the pleasures that this world has are ultimately fleeting? How weary does your soul become from worrying about the purpose of your life and whether or not you're doing anything that's actually going to matter? How weary does your soul become from feeling like you constantly have to prove your worth and your value to yourself and to everyone around you? You know, these are uh, common experiences of living in a fallen world that we have a restless soul that uh, so often is looking for meaning and for validation and for satisfaction, but isn't able to find it in any of the kind of things that this earth has to offer. You see, sleeping in on weekends and watching lots of Netflix might do a lot to rest your, a weary body, but it's not going to do anything to rest a weary soul. We need something more, something that's deeper than just a physical break in activity. And so just as God rested on the seventh day when he was satisfied with his work, he offers this same kind of rest for the soul and true satisfaction for all that would come to him. Look at this invitation from Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden. If you're weary and heavy laden, Jesus invites you to come and find rest for your soul in Him. And He tells you that you can do this by taking His yoke upon Him, upon you. You know what is a yoke? It's, most of us aren't farmers, so we probably don't think a, a lot about yokes. But a yoke is something that uh, you would put on an animal that would allow it to. Uh, carry something behind it plow you would oftentimes yoke a team of oxen together and I i look at this image of jesus telling us to come and take his yoke upon us what he's calling us to do is to come and be united connected with him you see as as jesus goes and does this labor he's inviting us to come and be with him in that think of it this way have you ever uh, tried to uh, have you ever carried something with someone that's like way stronger than you and it like seems like it was going to be a heavy thing to carry but then you're like oh man this other person must be doing all the work because this isn't difficult at all. Uh, that's kind of what I think it's like like being yoked with Jesus we have a heavy burden that we try to carry in this life of trying to validate ourselves trying to find meaning trying to find purpose satisfaction and all that kind of stuff that is a heavy heavy burden it makes us weary and heavy laden but jesus invites us to come and be yoked with him and the reality is everything that we need and that we're looking for in this life jesus is able to offer us in him we can come to jesus and be yoked with him we can be united with him and go his way where we no longer try to find purpose on our own or please god ourselves but rather our purpose is to follow him and trust in his work to please God. I think this is what being yoked with Jesus is all about, and why his burden is light, because he's the one that does the work. And guys, this is the beauty of the gospel. You see, Jesus is the only one that actually can give us rest, because it's only in him that we can actually have truly satisfied and complete work of righteousness. As much as you try to be righteous on your own, you will never be able to live up to God's standards. Like, you know that. You can't even live up to the standards that you have for yourself. And as, as much as we might feel like we have to work and to work and to work, the reality of the gospel is that Jesus comes and says, I know that you are weary and heavy laden and that you need a Savior and that you need rest, and I have come to take your burden upon me. And that's exactly what he did when he hung on the cross. You see, the burden that we carry of our sin and all of our shortcomings, Jesus took upon himself. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, He became sin." who knew no sins, so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. And so Jesus comes and takes our sin upon us. He makes us clean. He purifies us and he allows us to stand totally clean before God. And in him, the work is finished. Just as God was able to see that his creation was good and perfect, it was, it was done and he could satisfy, uh, be satisfied and rest in his work, we as people can have satisfied and rested hearts as we come and rest in the finished work of Jesus on the cross knowing that he has done the complete work that's necessary to unite us with God. Real rest is only found in Jesus because he's the only one that can allow us to stand in the truly finished and satisfying work of the cross. This rest is the reality of what we get to live in as Christians. This is our reality, but sometimes we need practices that help remind us of this reality so that we can enjoy it. And that's why I've included rest as something that's actually a spiritual discipline. If we don't take time to step back from the whirlwind of life to focus on this reality, to rest in Christ, we're in danger of forgetting that we live in the finished work of Christ. Rest is something that slows us down enough to remember that it is God who is the one that actually satisfies us and sustains us. You see, God actually built this discipline of rest into the life rhythm of his people when he gave them the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. Long before Jesus came in the flesh, God still wanted his people to remember to be consistently resting in him. And so he commanded the practice of what we call the Sabbath. And you can see this in Exodus 20, 8 to 11, it says this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So we see here that this weekly physical rest was commanded for the people of God. And this physical rest was no doubt a blessing for the people in and of itself. Right? And I believe it shows that God cares for his people. It's interesting, even the slaves and the animals are considered to rest. Which was revolutionary, right? Like, who, who in the ancient world is trying to give their slaves and animals days to rest? God cares for them. You know, we take weekends for granted, but the reason we have them is because God commanded the Sabbath throughout that. But the point of the Sabbath was not just for physical rest. It was to be a time that people remembered God. Notice that the command says it is to be a Sabbath to the Lord your God. It was designed to be something that pointed them back to remembering the way that God created everything and has given them everything that they have. And so the Sabbath offers perspective. Practicing disciplined rest reminds us that we are not the ones who keep the world spinning. It reminds us that God is the one that created everything and sustains it. And so in the command, God doesn't define the parameters of what exactly work is. But there were plenty of people that took it upon themselves to do that for him. And these people, we know, as the Pharisees. We see Jesus getting into arguments with them a lot in the Gospels. They're very strict about keeping the Sabbath, but in doing so, they missed the point of it entirely. You see, right after Jesus gave the invitation for the weary and heavy laden to come and rest, Matthew records an interaction that Jesus had with the Pharisees concerning the Sabbath. So I want to read for you these these stories. These are directly after the verses that we just read about Jesus' invitation for the weary and heavy laden to come and rest. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who are with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what it means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. He said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him. How? to destroy him. Okay. When we look at these uh, instances, it's apparent that Jesus and the Pharisees had very different ideas about how to keep the Sabbath and what it was meant for. The Pharisees seemed only concerned about the physical rest part. They wanted to be very strict about making sure that no one was doing anything that could even remotely be resembled his work. The reason they were mad at the disciples for picking grain, uh, when you when you pick the grain, you have to like rub off uh, the little outside of it, and they considered that harvesting. And so the idea was, well, they were doing work, and therefore it was not appropriate for them to be eating that snack on the Sabbath. Now, no, their, this was their defini- uh, definition of work. It's not defined anywhere in the scriptures, but that's how they saw it. They were mad at Jesus for healing a man on the Sabbath, right? They would say, uh, well, that's work. You know, doing the work of. of clearly you're not resting the way that God has called you to. They didn't seem to have any understanding about what the Sabbath was truly about. And when we look at how Jesus treated the Sabbath, we can actually see a few important things about how he viewed it. And the first one is that he isn't anti-Sabbath. Okay, he doesn't discount the Sabbath as something that's that's not important or that shouldn't be followed. He never demeans the Sabbath itself, but rather he shows the Pharisees that they have a misunderstanding. In fact, Jesus even calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath, right? He identifies himself with the Sabbath. He says that he's in line with what the Sabbath is all about. Yes, he's Lord over it, but it's also like in line with who he is. And we see that, I think, in the second story where he restores on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is all about restoration. It's insane to get mad about healing a man on the Sabbath, for after all, the whole point of the Sabbath is restoration. It's a little time of the week that the body is restored through resting, and it's a reminder that on the seventh day, God rested from creating the universe, and things were very good. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath because he's the one that restores. The Sabbath's about restoration, completeness, provision, and satisfaction in God, which is exactly what he brings. You see, we're not supposed to be slaves to the Sabbath, but rather the Sabbath is a restorative day that points us towards God, who is the one that restores. If you were with us earlier in the year when we went through Romans, um, you might remember that we read a passage that shows that Christians don't have to keep the Sabbath as a command. Romans 14.5 says this, uh, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind was going on in Rome, there was a church that was mixed of Jews and Gentiles, and there was some tension that was going on between them. You have Jews, of course, who were strictly keeping the Sabbath. This was something that they'd been doing for many, many years. And then you have these Gentiles who'd become Christians. They believed in Jesus. They were worshiping together. Um, but Sabbath practice was not a, a normal part of their lives. And Paul here doesn't really seem to be uh, forcing them to go one way or the other. He says it's actually okay if you think one day is better than another. It's okay also if you think every day is fully like you should be convinced in your own mind. So it doesn't seem that the keeping of the Sabbath is something that's a command for us under the new covenant that Jesus gave us, as Christians. So I don't think that we have to keep the Sabbath, but it still can be a very beneficial practice that has a lot of wisdom. I personally don't have a strict Sabbath as a normal practice of mine, but I know other Christians that do and find it to be very beneficial for them. And whether or not you choose to have a consistent day that you treat as the Sabbath or not, I believe that you will be best off if you have some sort of rhythm in your life where you consistently stop to rest with God, both physically and on a soul level. And so some tips for this time, however that looks, whether that's, uh, you're going to set aside a day, the Jewish Sabbath was Saturday, some people say, hey, that's what my Saturdays are going to be, where I really completely cease from any sort of work and just rest to be with the Lord. Others, uh, they find a different day to do that or a different portion of their week. But what I, would, what, what I would encourage you to do if you want to know, hey, how is it that I actually come and, and get this kind of soul level rest? There's three things I would tell you. One is that you need to let your time be centered on God. Right? Remember that um, this isn't just Netflix and video games. Like that's, not, that's not the extent of what rest is about. I'm not even saying that that can't potentially be part of a good time of rest but the idea is we're going for something deeper than just the physical it's a time that you need to be able to speak the gospel to yourself that you actually need to let the holy spirit speak the gospel to you. To so remember that god is the one that restores and gives life and completeness and satisfaction i would also encourage you to let your time be free of encumbrance i think this is the idea of getting away from the work aspect I, I don't think that the point is uh, make sure that you don't uh, accidentally, you know, pick a piece of grain and then you're harvesting and you're working or, you know, make sure that you're counting your steps, that you don't, you don't uh, put in too much work there. Um, the, the, I think the point is that you have to be free to be able to say no to the millions of demands. That, constantly that you're able to step back to know that the world does not revolve around you. Uh, it, it's not going to melt down. You step away from your responsibilities for a period of time and trust God to continue providing and all of these other things. Even when the Israelites were going through the desert and they were collecting manna from heaven, God would have it rain down this bread from heaven that they would collect. He didn't want them to do it on the Sabbath. He, he let them collect a double portion on the day before the Sabbath so that they would still be able to rest. And I think that in resting on the Sabbath and freeing ourselves from the encumbrance and the work we have, it l- lets us remember that God is ultimately the one that provides for us and that keeps things going. Now, obviously, I don't encourage you to go overboard with this. You still need to deal with emergencies. You know, even as Jesus is talking about, if you have an animal that falls in a pit, like you're still going to get it out, right? <laughs> like, um, if you have a friend that needs to go to the hospital or something, don't be like, "Oh, it's my Sabbath. I can't take you." You know, like, so, so don't don't be ridiculous about it, okay? Um, but, but I do think that you need to, to feel the freedom to remove yourself from the normal encumbrances of life. And then finally, the third thing that I would say is let it be restorative. I don't think it has to be physically restrictive, although there is something to be said for physical rest uh, that needs to happen at some point, but if going on a strenuous hike uh, is restorative for you and that's something that helps you actually remember the God who created all of this, and uh, your soul is is satisfied in him in doing that, then that might actually be a great Sabbath practice. Uh, I think that you have freedom to be able to figure that out for yourself. But whatever you're doing, it should be restorative in nature. That's helping restore uh, ultimately your soul and and hopefully your body to some degree in that process. Now, different people are probably going to have different practices and, and different amounts of this kind of rest that they need. Uh, but those are some general guidelines that I would give you to say, "Hey, this is how I think that we can start to get at uh, experiencing the kind of rest that God wants to give His people." And this is something that we need because if we if we don't rest, we're going to run into all sorts of trouble. You're going to run into trouble in your life no matter what. But rest is going to help you weather And so I would say we need rest because one, you're going to need it to keep you going for the long haul. You know, following Jesus is a marathon. I think that uh, when you read the scriptures, you'll notice over and over again how much perseverance is uh, a virtue that's extolled. Uh, You you see there's this idea that we want to be people that remain faithful over the years. It can be easy to be white hot for a little bit, to be passionate for a little bit, but consistently being close to the Lord over decades and decades and decades, I believe you're going to need to learn to rest in Christ and consistently rest in the gospel if you're going to do. I think that rest is also important for us because it crushes the idol of productivity. Don't get me wrong. I love productivity. I think it's great, It's valuable. I like to be productive. Um, but I think in many ways in our culture, it's an idol. and And we see productivity as something that gives us value. The more valuable you are, the more you're able to produce. And the gospel crushes that. Stepping back and actually intentionally reducing our level of productivity reminds us that that's not what we get our worth from. And that's not what saves us. It's not what makes us righteous. Before God. I, th- I believe that rest is also valuable because it reminds us that God is our ultimate provider. You know, when we step back uh, and rest, it means that we have to cease, at least for a period of time, from doing the things that would let us provide for ourselves. And, you know, of course, God expects us to have a certain responsibility in providing for ourselves and our families, but it's good for us to be reminded that ultimately we're not the true provider. God is. And finally, rest is essential for us to remember Christ's finished work that you stand in. Gospel people are people that should be able to rest. Right? Because we know that Christ is the one that's done the Resting in him makes us trust him for all of our spiritual needs, trust in him for our righteousness. And so as we go into a time as a church where there's gonna be a lot of activity, and I I like activity. I love this time that we're coming up. I'm gonna be out a lot talking to people. I'm gonna be sharing the gospel a lot. I'm excited to do this, and I hope that you are too. I want you at that same time to balance your life with some level of rest and know that you need to step back and let the Lord remind you that he is your provider. He is your sustainer. He is the one that gives you value. Let the weary and heavy laden come. To him. He gives rest. to your soul. So I hope that this series on spiritual disciplines has been valuable for you. I hope that these are things that you haven't just learned about, but will be consistent rhythms in your life that you actually put into practice. And that as you do that, you remember to be diligent about actually practicing good gospel rest. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are the one that gives our souls rest. I thank you that you invite the weary and heavy laden to come to you. God, I thank you that uh, on the cross, Jesus, you were able to say it is finished. And Lord, I just pray that you would speak that into our hearts. For any of us that are restless right now, full of anxiety, fear about anything, God, whether it's the, the biggest things in life, of whether you love us or if we have purpose or anything like that, I just pray you'd speak rest to our souls and, and show us how much you love us through, uh, as we look at the cross and as we look at the gifts that you give through your spirit. God, even if it's small things that we're just full of anxiety about that are keeping us from rest like fears about what we're going to be able to accomplish or whether we're going to be able to, to make friends this week or anything like that, I, I pray that you would give us rest there as well. We know that we can trust you to provide absolutely everything. You're good, God. You're good, God. We love you, Father. And we just thank you for hearing our prayer, and we pray all this year, son. Amen. As we move into this time of musical worship, we're actually going to be doing a practice that helps remind us of that finished work of the cross, and uh, that's communion. So uh, there's a couple tables that are set up in the back of the sanctuary, and uh, at any point during this uh, worship time, If you are a believer in Jesus, meaning that uh, you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he lived a sinless life, that he died on the cross, paying the penalty for your sins, and that he rose again from the dead, defeating death and giving eternal life to all that put their faith in him, if you believe that, uh, then you are welcome to go and take communion. And what you're doing in that is uh, remembering the body of Christ that was broken for you. That's what the broken bread represents. Uh, When Jesus hung on the cross, he had nails driven through his side. He had a crown of thorns beat into his head. He had a spear stuck through his side. His body was broken. And it was done for you. As he experienced the, the penalty of death and the pain of sin, he took that on the cross so that you don't have to. When we eat that broken bread, we are remembering. And the same with the juice that's there that represents the blood of Christ that was poured out for you. Jesus said, this is my blood of the new covenant given for the forgiveness of sin. And so we remember the blood that Jesus poured out on the cross, paying the penalty of death for our sin that we owed. And as you drink that juice, you remember, Jesus, thank you for washing me clean with your blood. And so at any point, as as you examine your heart, I I just encourage you to even take this time to think about uh, that sacrifice that Jesus made for you, that finished work that he paid for every sin that you had so that you don't have to contemplate that and when you're ready that you go back and uh, there's two different ways you can do it you can either take the bread and dip it in the juice or uh, we also have cups that you can peel a little layer back and eat the bread and then you can drink the juice from the cup um, they have the same same purpose just reminding us of, of this practice that Jesus gave us to remember his body that was broken for us and his blood that was poured out and so uh, you can do that at any point as uh, we sing these next worship songs and um, let's just be people that are thankful for, for the rest that our God gives us, that he allows us to enter into, and that we get to practice both now in this life, ultimately in eternity, a place of perfect rest where we get to live in harmony with God.